0: Morning, noon, or night, wherever and whenever you are listening, you are listening to The Shift. I'm your host, my name is Doug McKenty. This 111th episode was recorded on February 22nd, 2022. My guest on the show today is Jack of all trades, Mary Lynn. Mary and I got in touch after my initial series on the Substack blog, The Populist Papers, raised questions concerning political ideologies and communication. Focusing on a particular dispute within independent media circles that typified, in my mind, the paucity of miscommunication encountered while engaging in political conversation, my articles focused on the need for unification within the independent community. Though Mary disagreed with my assessment of the dispute, her response was non-judgmental and open-minded in great contrast to the many disparaging comments from those on the other side of the debate. We then began a long conversation concerning the nature of appropriate dispute resolution techniques. It turned out that Mary has been working on a concept she calls sovereign communication. Her process combines the best of logical reasoning and critical thinking skills with a high level of emotional intelligence that together provide a safe space to engage in productive conversation. These discussions invite all participants along a path towards further healthy individuation. Not only can those engaged pursue logical dialogue, but they can also undergo an experience which recognizes the importance of emotional healing as well. Essentially, the concept is founded on the notion that truly individuated persons can engage in a dispassionate dialogue without attachment to the outcome that adheres strictly to the principles of logical discourse. If attached, however, the interlocutor will invariably get triggered by facts and reasoning that do not conform to the attachment. This results in the use of logical fallacies employed to avoid the emotional pain caused by an attachment to an unjustifiable concept. Sovereign communication recognizes these triggers as a coping mechanism indicative of past trauma. At this point, the conversation must end so the trauma can be processed or shift to a different topic. Though nonviolent communication techniques provide a safe space, they can often lead to unhealthy commiseration between parties resulting in stagnation. Sovereign communication demands the discipline of logic while simultaneously maintaining a respect for emotional boundaries. Over time, these techniques not only illuminate conversations with the light of truth, but help heal emotional wounds presenting as unjustifiable beliefs utilized as coping mechanisms designed to avoid emotional pain. Perhaps in this way, we can overcome the many powerful political beliefs which only serve to divide family and community, and find a way forward unified by the idea that we can discover solutions to seemingly unsolvable problems through this process of conscious dialogue. Hopefully, this interview will not just be about sovereign communication, but will also serve as an example of just how such communication can work. Though Mary currently is not promoting a personal work or website, she asks those interested in this content to check out her passion project, the Community Exchange System, at www.community-exchange.org, which offers a worldwide talent exchange network providing economic value outside the dollar-denominated economy. As always, find out more about The Shift, sign up for the newsletter, and subscribe for feature-length versions of each episode by going to www.theshiftnow.com. You can find video versions of the show on Rockfin, Odyssey, and YouTube, and audio versions at all your favorite podcast hosting sites. Look for my blog on Substack under the Populist Papers, or contact me at Doug McKenty on Facebook or at dmckenty on Twitter. If you like what you're hearing, please like, subscribe and share this content on your favorite social media platform. Enjoy this conversation with Mary Lynn. I'd like to thank her for agreeing to this interview and thank you for helping to make the shift. Hey everybody and welcome to this 111th episode of The Shift. I'm joined today by Mary Lynn. She is an artist and activist out of uh, Boulder County, Colorado. I first got in touch with her because uh, as some of you may know my first couple of blog posts uh, were about this dispute that has been going on within the scene that uh, sort of typified uh, a miscommunication that um, so many of us many people are having many many activists are having right now and uh, in my drive for for trying to figure out a messaging that can unify the scene, maybe start some kind of, uh, real political action that can function um, to try to turn the tide against the things that we all know have been happening these last couple of years and this totalitarian tiptoe that's been happening for such a long time. Mary actually had uh, a different opinion about that uh, that dispute than I did, uh, but she was so polite in the way that she had a conversation with me through social media that I thanked her for uh, the way that she was communicating about it. And uh, we ended up having a phone call. uh, And it turns out that Mary has been involved in developing what she calls sovereign communication. And I wanted to have her on the show because to me, this is probably the most important topic that we can be having right now. There's so much, uh, especially on these social media platforms, there's so much. Conflict going on. People who have a disagreement about this, this aspect of their worldview or that aspect of their worldview, or just Now, we all are familiar with the general left-right paradigm, which causes all kinds of division. Uh, How do we get over it? Well, the only way to get over it is to have conversation about it, to have conversation where we don't get triggered, where we don't fly off the handle and start calling each other names and building straw men and going down those roads. And that is just, I mean, that's 90% of of a social media conversation, it seems like, these days. So I'm happy to have Mary on. And really, uh, I think we're going to dive deep. If it's half as good as that, first phone call that we have. This is going to be an incredible interview. So I uh, uh, hope you're looking forward to this conversation as much as I am. Hi, Mary. How's it going today? Do you want to just let people know about a little bit about your history and your past and why you got into this concept of sovereign communication?
1: Sure. I'd love to. Um, thanks for having me on, Doug. Um, if this conversation is anything like the last two, we'll be glad we're recording this time because we just. Yeah. <laughs> I <know. laughs> um, So I'm sort of a um, sort of a mental generalist. I um, started by going to art school, and then I ended up studying molecular biology and briefly being involved in research, which was a whole topic that's now very related to what's happening right. in the world. And uh, then I went out and started businesses um, in the arts. And uh, became an opera singer and composer, and did all kinds of stuff. At some point, I got a master's degree in counseling and human relations, and an M.Ed. in counseling and human relations. And I've worked much of my life in communications. I've been a journalist. and I use words and communication very, very intentionally in my artwork, in the operas and the poetry that I've written and so forth. Mm-hmm. And um, as things were really heating up in the world, around 2015, um, we had just produced a bunch of operas. And then my husband and I um, moved to Boulder County and we renovated a house with this big meeting room where we could do all kinds of things, have meetings, um, uh, do opera and singing events. And I started looking at the world and thinking, what if I focused my art form for the near future, or at least for the next thing, on how can I create a beautiful community and world? And I, wanted, I was curious, um, with the scientific background, I was curious, I set myself a hypothesis that uh, to test, which is how satisfied and how satisfying and how enjoyable will it be for me to focus on activism in creating a a beautiful world for myself and my family and my husband in my community um, as my next art form so for better or worse that's what I've been doing for 15 years and at that point I had just written an opera that I didn't realize it but I just put in a lot of tongue-in-cheek, outrageous ideas that I didn't realize at that point were conspiracy idea theories that I just pulled out of the ether. And then I, I, decided, I'm going to study conspiracy theory for my next opera. And the next nice. thing I knew, yeah. I was, and you know, for and so there's a part of me that is, um, we uh, is at, at root, sort of uh, philosophically, we talked about this what I would, what I consider sort of a neo-Stoic, I'm interested in neo-Stoicism, and so I try to maintain sort of a sense of, of the observer, which is also true, I think, very much for a lot of artists, to sort of like step back, and the scientist observing and saying, hmm, what's really going on here? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And one of the things that I found out that was going on is that um, we are in a very low ebb in our actual technical skills of communication with one another. And I've noticed this in all of the groups that I've been involved with. And uh, because I'm interested in principles and in inspiring people to do what they love and, and to create um to create constructive things together. I know people across the whole political spectrum and at different times I've been progressive, been curious about conservative values around the economy, and I'm more libertarian probably now, but all of us, all of us have the same problems with listening to one another and feeling our own strength our own sovereignty when we engage in conversation with one another. So I've been looking at what are the underlying principles of a truly self-actualized, sovereign. um, There's lots of different ways that you can um, compassionately rooted, enlightened. There's lots of different labels that you can put on somebody who knows themselves, knows what they want to communicate, and can give the other uh, persons or party an ultimate kind of base or foundation of recognized integrity when you engage the conversation.
0: Yeah. So it's so true and so difficult to find in this world. I mean, that was the thing that uh, attracted me to wanting to have this conversation about this topic, because I, uh, I eventually ended up writing this essay called dialectic and dialogue. I've been um, Mm -hmm. trying to understand why people are so, interested in this conflict and this debate and being right. Um, And it was actually through the process of writing that essay that I kind of, I mean, I had understood stoicism, but it sort of clicked in me that like stoicism really applies here because logic can be used, I think should be used, if I can use that word, as a form of personal cultivation to make sure that you're on the right path. And and instead... We live in this world that thinks that there's this dialectic that people have, there's an, an if or a then, and you've got to duke yeah. it out to figure out who's right. And it's like that—that's just a, a control mechanism in the end. At the end of the day, like, well, if I'm right, then I can tell you what to do. I mean, that's right. the world we've been living in. And that's
1: not actually a dialectic. Dialectic dia means two or between. Mm-hmm and it's interesting we're having this conversation today um because i'm a i do numerology and this is a your 111th podcast right <laughs> and it's on 222 um 2022 so where that adds up to a 12 all of those twos which are all about individual relationship communication so the 111 adds up to a 3 which is about creating communication, the triad of communication, and then we have all of those twos adding up to a 12, which reduces to a three, which is also about engaging in constructive communication.
0: Nice. It's all coming together.
1: So here we are. So here we are in a very (laughs) auspicious day to be talking about this. But if we look at all of the twos, we have all of these dyads of people engaging in dialectic, and how do we bring them together into a larger dialectic? And there's got to be a structure for that. Um, from years of, I, I learned a great deal about conversation from from being online, especially on Facebook and having conversations. And I found it so incredibly tiresome to see conversations devolving into insinuation, attack, passive aggression. Um, you know, ad, and then all of the logical fallacies: the ad hominem, the straw man. Right. It impelled me as somebody who's essentially a stoic, and I didn't know that I was a stoic when I started this, to study logic and logical fallacy, sort of as an adjunct to the philosophy of science that I had studied when I was younger, um, before I was, you know, working in molecular biology. And um I discovered that the reason why the conversations are so terribly tiresome and so terribly boring is that they're fallacious. They're based in logical fallacy. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to be a sovereign communicator, learning the at least the basic set of logical fallacies is incredibly important. So you have to start with, um, like, let's just list, what's the first thing that you see in conversations with people all the time? There's two that just really jump to mind in terms of the logical fallacies.
0: Well, the straw man.
1: Straw man. People act incredulous and outraged, and they restate something that you never said, and then they uh, attack you and accuse you of being a um, an immoral person for having yep. – excuse me, there's something on my screen – for having said that thing.
0: Yep. The, the ad hominem. That would be my second That's the second. Yeah. Those are the two.
1: Ad <laughs> hominem is, and ad hominem, in any formal debate setting, as soon as you get to a um, personal attack, attacks on somebody's character or insinuations about them personally, doxing would be in that category of anything that's a personal attack com- is, um, invalidates you and you forfeit the argument. So just knowing how to say to people, I, I, I hold a high standard in conversation, I don't discourse with people who engage in logical fallacy, you've just used the the, the two most obvious and cheapest tricks, straw man and ad hominem, would you like to come back, here's, a, you know, when you learn something, here's a link. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> Which usually just annoys people. But what I found over time is that I um, had a significant following of people who wanted to learn these things and I kept sharing the links with them and they started using them and then saying, Mary, this is a good example of how you argued that and sharing that. And I had other friends who were doing the same thing. Uh, my friend, Bob Bowes, who's a, the economist, who um, he talks about public banking and constitutional banking, one of the topics we've talked about, um, and uh, is a really um, astute p- political, um, geopolitical um, observer and analyst and commentator and where we are. He does he does that to um expose trolls and get rid of them immediately. He says, "Okay, you've this logical fallacy, this, this and this." And then when they're out of things to say, he just posts a link about the latest research on how many trolls of what type are right. <laughs> <laughs> and trolling specific topics. And then, you know, that troll is and then you can just block that troll, but you have the you have the evidence for people to see. Yeah. So, but that's not a heart-centered approach, that's a logical part, and of course logic is a big part of um, the stoic path and of being, learning how to be uh, a functional and useful person. So, in sovereign communication, you have to go further and you have to say, okay, you have to do the self-examination part of who am I and am I just a mind, am I just a quarrelsome entity? Or am I also a heart and a soul and right. a creator and a sensitive being?
0: Well, one of the things that uh, just popped into my mind as I was hearing you talk about the logical fallacies, because it is so logical. But then conversely, that's also a really important, healthy way to, to understand how to set emotional boundaries on someone. I mean, if they're just hammering you, making fun of you, you know, talking garbage about you, if that's where the conversation has devolved, it's a healthy emotional boundary. You don't need to take that abuse. You know, you need to say, hey, if you're not willing to engage in this logical conversation with me that could be beneficial to both of us, then I'm sorry, but I'm not going to stand for this kind of behavior, you know?
1: Exactly. And um, I find that it's often... Um, young men who are trying to find a way to sort of like pit themselves against the world. Mm-hmm. And I found that some of them, you know, are there once the testosterone gets going and they want to, you know, butt h- horns and, you know, knock something over, um, they become really, really, really angry. But some of them I've noticed really pick up and start learning the logical fallacy tools and being able to use them successfully. And it's very difficult to do anything in the world but be obedient if you are not able to engage in critical analysis. And you cannot engage in critical analysis if you don't understand logic. Right. And it does help you to maintain that sense of emotional control. But the other part of being able to have the emotional control is you do have to understand rhetoric. And you understand this better than me. As I've mentioned, I'm an autodidact when it comes to philosophy. So I just have what I've gleaned. But I understand rhetoric, as somebody who's been in communications, as all of the arts of persuasion, mm-hmm. all of the arts that get sort of like get past the logic and get into your fears, your desires, your archetypal yearnings, your recognitions of um, something that you can't really put your finger on because it's really coming from your, your subconscious to your unconscious. So... Um, if you're going to be a sovereign communicator you have to really understand rhetoric as well um maybe you can speak well, about that to some degree as the yeah. as philosopher in the room
0: right I, I actually want to take a step back before we get there because the thing that we um first uh i just want to recommend to people uh to look up the Trivium method where you can find all right. of, all of the logical fallacies and this was actually the sort of the historically the way that people were educated they were educated to critically think for themselves um and so i wanted to talk uh for just a second about the difference between understanding this critical thinking and use use of logic in this way and understanding the logical fallacies but then indoctrination because I think yes. that's that's where our education system is going today, and that's why I think so many people uh, are incapable now. They haven't been trained into how to actually critically think. They've been trained into how to be indoctrinated, and it's become like a, a terribly bad habit in everyone. And that's why right. they're so easily um, they're so easily swayed by rhetoric that is um attacking their their emotional soft spots instead of engaging in their critical thinking
1: well yes so in the trivium um i knew that you were going to get there because obviously i was speaking the trivium in the Mm -hmm. trivium the first three arts that you must master as a student before you're able to move on to the quadrivium the first three arts are grammar Logic and rhetoric. So grammar is in and of itself an intrinsic logic that we all know. So when you teach grammar, you realize that there are rules, and when you realize that there are rules and that there are sequential outcomes um, to those rules, um, then you are able. Then you are primed. To be able to study logic um, if you don't understand grammar it's very difficult to, c- to converse and it's right. very difficult to feel that confidence in yourself as a as a sovereign individuated being who has something to say and this is why uh, so many of the conservative and libertarian homeschooling programs like Ron Paul's curriculum are built around the trivium yeah so um what was i going to say about that oh yes and so once you've learned the trivium the quadrivium and um um the trivium lot of of grammar uh logic and rhetoric then you need to um have sort of like you have to understand your own motivations for how to use that and so that's where self-examination comes in so it almost seems to me that you you can't present yourself in the world as a, as a sovereign being without having disciplines of self-examination. And, the, and that can happen through many different ways. It can happen through a journaling process, through a dialectic with a friend, um, a conversation group. Um, I really love Jordan Peterson's self-authoring process. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a great way to start doing the self-examination and understand who you really are. And what it is that you actually want to be arguing for or against.
0: Right. I mean, and it's fascinating because you use the word individuated, and that is also the term that's used in psychology to talk about a healthy emotional person. Exactly. So what I love about these conversations with you is that we're seeing how logic and reason and critical thinking – could actually be used as tools to balance yourself emotionally, to set healthy boundaries, to individuate yourself, to self-examine yourself so that you have a consistent belief system. And then to control your emotions so you don't get triggered um, and engage in healthy dialogue with other people where you can help each other out to figure this stuff out. You know, this is what it should all be about. It's so amazing how, uh, the way people are trained into thinking is to not self-examine to get triggered when somebody yep. uh, you know somebody questions their belief system and then um it, and then not part think of the other person as a, a as an enemy you know, it's right. all, all this military metaphor instead of somebody that you're interacting with as, a, as, a, as an ally who's helping you cultivate your own individuality.
1: Right. Um, I'm glad that you brought up triggering because in sovereign communication, you, um, there needs to be a recognition of the, of the other person as somebody who has ideas that you respect, but you also have to have the emotional component of respecting them as a soul, as a living being. Mm -hmm. And there is that emotional sort of appreciation, which is embodied in things like nonviolent communication and and various compassionate communication techniques. However, once that esteem has been established as a foundation, there's no real communication if you don't then start engaging logically and critically. What you have is commiseration, which is what happens between victims. Right. So commiseration is great when somebody's traumatized or when you're just hanging out with your friends and you need to express and explore things. That is fantastic. But it's, it is incomplete communication. And if commiseration always results in I'm triggered, I have to withdraw, or you need to emotionally protect me, everyone needs that sometimes. But it's an incomplete human being. Right. Who can only go to that place
0: and it's become i mean we're hearing all of this about safe spaces and i mean it's become an actual um safe
1: spaces are important i need to honor everyone
0: right yes. uh, you know i i hear that but at the same play at the same time i mean there's got to be a balance between being an emotionally healthy person yes. can handle a little constructive criticism right. without getting triggered and and requiring constant constantly going to the safe space i mean i'm glad uh, that you bring it up as this term commiseration, because that, that does come up from a place of victimhood. So even if you engage in a nonviolent communication, if it devolves into commiseration, uh, you're not actually addressing the root causes of the problem or building up the person who's been traumatized uh, in, in a healing way that can help them become a stronger person.
1: Right. So um, I think it's important to have tools for dealing with your own trauma and your own triggering. One of the tools that I use is a lot of people use tapping, you know, or stimming in various ways. And I think that is about what I've observed is from having practiced and studied and, um, you know, just been exposed to a lot of different techniques of emotional healing. Many of them involve touching the body, thinking about the body Um, So that when you're in a triggered space, your emotions have a place to land in the body. Mm -hmm. So if you're somebody who is um, easily triggered by things, then perhaps you should go do some EMDR or learn to haven. Havening is, you know, using parasympathetic touch in a moment of stress. You know, you can do something like this in any meeting and people aren't going to, you know, think that you're a weirdo. Um, This stuff and this stuff, maybe not so much. They might really think that you're a little, you know. A little bit more Asperger's than you want to come off.
0: Right. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Um, So, yeah, um, having the tools um, that you need and knowing that if you're going to go into a traumatic situation, setting somebody up to be your support team to debrief afterwards so you don't have to devolve into panic. You can think, I can mentally make a note of this and then I can talk about about it with X later. So setting up your techniques so that you can – Honor and embody yourself, and you're not just stuffing it, which, as as I said, is the traditional view of what stoicism is, but it's really inaccurate. It's not about stuffing your emotions. It's about being able to engage appropriately um, with the attitude of the observer and being able to continue your goals of study, self-examination, and service.
0: Right. Right. Yeah, it, when I was writing the the article uh, dialogue and dialectic it occurred to me that I was starting to describe stoicism and so I I looked it yeah. up hadn't really checked it out in a while and uh and it, somehow the source that I landed on um really talked about how they're using logic to con- control the emotions um but then to to remain uh ethical and moral in the face of of powerful yeah. emotions that were that were yeah. sort of propelling them outside of this this the the logical constraints but it occurred to me just reading that sentence uh that they were talking about getting triggered i mean this is the the yeah. ancient you know the ancient yep. roman way of talking about right. when you get triggered and you get outside of your logical mind and now you're in this uh this this space Uh, of fear that is not really in relation to what's going on now. It's a, it's a throwback to a, a past trauma and you're in a, you're, you're feeling like you're in a past situation and it just like suddenly it clicked to me that like, Oh, you know, this is a healthy use of logic to recognize right. your triggers and then use the, the logical fallacies and your critical thinking skills to either back out of the conversation at that point and say, sorry, this is too triggering for me. You know, I need to right. go home and do some tapping. And that's, sovereign, that's
1: taking care of yourself. That's taking your, right. um, that's knowing when to withdraw from the engagement Yeah. as a sovereign. It's interesting. Um, I was just reading today, I looked up um, the word uh, etiquette because I realized, well, what we're talking about in sovereign communication is a lot of it is etiquette. And I found that the the, the um, current, um, okay, there's three levels of definition. The current one is polite behavior in polite society. The one that was most common for the longest period of time is the rules of engagement between sovereigns.
0: Hmm. Right.
1: And the origin... The origin of etiquette. It, etiquette really means ticket, and it was the tickets that were put up at Versailles to keep the no, the lazy nobles from cutting a path across the the uh, the courtyards and ruining the grass.
0: Right, classic. That's hilarious.
1: So, so this brings in the aspect of emotion, okay, and the aspect of uh, um, I don't um. When I was working at one of the, um, the universities that I worked at, um, we went through a whole big campus re envisioning process, and we brought in landscape architects, and they talked about pathways of desire. And pathways of desire are um, when you study a project to see how you should be creating it for the for the maximal enjoyment and utility for the people who are using it. Is you just sort of study it for a while, and if. If people look at the clock tower, which is where the cafe is, you know, from the science building, and they want to make a beeline for it, and there's a square of grass there in the middle or a rose garden, they're going to just walk through the rose garden. That's the pathway of desire. So, so as a sovereign being, you need to know when you're really just going to walk across the grass and nobody's going to tell you not to do that. And you have to try and build that into your communication style. Right. So, for example, for me as a sovereign being, I I do not at all um, hew to the – I try to avoid situations where I have to stay in the rules of compassionate communication because they're very structured – mean, uh, sorry, of um, nonviolent communication Mm -hmm. because that system is very structured and it's very orderly and it's very safe and everyone is safe in that, but it's not playful. So I try to find people who I can josh with and where our sovereign agreement is that We can kid each other, you know, and, you know, I can, um, I can, you know, my friend John will come in and I'll be like, whoa, somebody (laughs) will like them because he's bald and he's just gotten his head shaved. You know what I'm saying? That to me is my pathway of desire. I need and want playful communications. But you have to have those agreements with people and you can get to them by kidding with somebody a little bit and if they react, then you pull back and you say, I'm sorry, Did I hit and then try to talk to them and they can either talk to you or, you know, they decide that they're not going to deal with you. And that's difficult because you can't just say, I think you're an interesting person. I would like to discuss the rules of sovereign communication with you so we can be friends. Right. (laughs) So you have to like, sort of like, you know, put out what's called putting out a bid. You have to sort of, in terms of relationship, put out a little bid and see if it gets picked up and then respond to it in a sovereign way.
0: Right. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that um, I'm loving about this concept is that it is—it's um, about building logical strength and also about building yeah. emotional strength. And I, yeah. and I just want from my personal experience. I mean, when I was younger, when I had the when I had all, all that testosterone, <laughs> I was uh, I was. Really, oh, you're still
1: young. I'm pretty yeah, sure you're younger than me.
0: <laughs> I'm doing all right. <laughs> um. Uh. I became, you know, really enamored of the logical side of things, and yeah. and I the the emotional stuff was all like that is confusing and, and crazy making, and I don't understand uh, where that comes from. And I was studying philosophy, and I really wanted to um, just engage on this very logical level. And I noticed that for me, I could kind of separate my personal identity from the logical conversation I was having, and and I would just try to, you know. Uh, engage with other people, right. but then so often uh, over time, I kind of realized that um, you know it's threatening to other people yeah. to to just go s- straight into this logical um, this logical conversation and uh, like you're trying to break down their point of view, you know. And now right. I get it. And as I got older, I was like, oh, you know, guess what? My my emotional self is actually really important. I carry it around with me everywhere I go and it affects my entire life. So if I don't start paying yeah. closer attention to this thing, I'm going to be in for a world of hurt. <laughs> and now, you know, I, I see you
1: are wise, you are wise to have gone on that journey and to yeah. be in, in engaging those processes. So what so let me interview you a little bit. So mm-hmm. what are you doing to develop your emotional intelligence?
0: Well, you know, it's it's very much like what you're talking about, like just having respect for the other person as a person, for being careful uh, not to trigger them, you know, uh, and to have conversations sort of to the space where they're comfortable going and not going beyond that. Um, but also, I mean, I do agree with you. I think that uh, every every person is different and having respect for their them as a sovereign being and engaging with another person as a sovereign being and then um, you know finding the people that are your friends right i mean that you right playful with and that and that don't get
1: triggered by your uh or if they do you can say hey what's passion. going on what do you need from me and right. they're sovereign enough to say i need to not talk right now or i need you to affirm that you know, you're not trying to attack me or explain what you mean. And they can, they can state their needs, even if it's, it's raw and emotional and the kind of thing that you don't do in public, because you don't want people to think that you're a baby.
0: Right. Right.
1: <laughs> right. Or whatever judgment or not a man or a wimp or whatever the things that, but that they feel like they can do that and they can sort of like, you know um decompensate regress whatever you want to say go out of that that facade and sort of like have you help them to be in whatever state they're in for a period of time
0: yeah i mean what i what i really appreciate about this conversation and this concept of sovereign communication is that it 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 helps you hone your logic but also yeah. strengthens your emotions like right because this is where Instead of thinking of reality, and this is where our culture, I think, has has come to this place, and maybe we can even get into, I I would say this is a characteristic of patriarchy. You know, we can start kind of talking about some of the the cultural archetypes here. (laughs) But this idea that logic kind of, that it transcends or dominates the emotions, the emotions are these dark underbelly. I mean, like I said, as a young man, the way maybe I I treated logic Mm -hmm. and emotions and have come to mature and understand, well, actually... You know, a healthy individuated life is harmonizes. And I and I think about uh, the Taoism, the yin yang here, like instead of having in fact, I've been thinking a lot lately about the, the dualism of our culture, the good and the bad. Uh, and separating these things out, right? And, and you know, like the logic is dominating the bad, who's not using the good argument, and in a right. militaristic way, instead of the yin yang symbol that really typifies this notion that, like, well, health is balancing these two, and then and then strength is testing. You know, kind of constantly testing both of them in this this harmony, uh, in a way where you can individuate yourself emotionally, make yourself stronger emotionally, and also refine your logic and your critical thinking skills so that you have a higher awareness and you're using this tool in a good way in harmony with your feelings. And this is where the
1: the playfulness comes in. Mm -hmm. You're in an engagement with your friend. You have an agreement to engage, to test your wits, to test your battle of wits with each other. It's a wrestle, right? And so there needs to be an agreement that you're willing to do that and people don't want to just... So, yeah, so engaging in a battle of wits, there sort of has to be, you know, like a bow in so that everybody knows what's happening. And that's the sovereign thing. So people aren't like, well, I just I just want to, you know, Netflix and chill. Don't bother me with all of that. (laughs) All of that Aristotle business. (laughs) I'm not here to systemize all of the world of information and knowledge and how we learn. I just want to, you know, I just want to watch Bruce Willis something down yet again <laughs> Right. <laughs> or whatever
0: um well i mean that's what's so, so fat- system systematizing the world this is exactly the kind of consciousness that we're up against with this whole technocratic takeover that we're right. dealing with right now so i think that's does yeah. that, even another level on top of of just we can have this conversation that can be so uh just relational in terms of how you're dealing with other people in your life but then also the archetypes of all these concepts they really apply to to what's happening in the bigger system right now you know on the larger cultural scene so yes
1: and you mentioned okay so you mentioned um the patriarchy so right um, (laughs) this is a really tough topic for me to get into because i'm from i'm a i'm a logical gal yeah. and you know but i look like just like a normal gal there's like nothing especially masculine about me at all in the way that i look or really present myself um and you know i I have four brothers um and um you know my dad was always like uh, fixing cars and being an engineer and i just loved the logical like doing stuff right mm. so i um I think that the patriarchy as an archetype of the lineage and the transmission of what's good about men and and the positive things that men can do in culture, and as a lineage that's passed on positively, I think it's a great thing. And there's hierarchies in all of nature. You cannot deny that hierarchies exist everywhere and everything in various ways. But I don't see the the patriarchy as the structure that's running things. I see it as an archetypal structure yeah. that represents what can be good and what can be bad. So, I mean, we we mentioned um Jordan Peterson before. I first um, discovered him when he was talking about, uh, he was engaging with women and having discussions about, you know, patriarchy and men and women and the differences between them. And is there a patriarchy and are women oppressed? And I was really struck by the fact that in all of his conversations, he never said one thing that was so obvious to me as a gal with four brothers and in having worked in all kinds of um, places with guys trying to get things done, which is that I do think that um, in um, creating the pecking order in any group of people who are to know each other personally and are working together, men do it differently than women, and the way men do it is what women hate about the patriarchy. Mm-hmm. because men if you're engaging the conversation with them they're sub I mean, subconsciously you're just like you're just and you're a woman you're just like the fattest and weakest guy in their subconscious brain and so they're going to gang up with each other instinctively and just take you out right, right. it's not personal and it's not that they hate sure. women they would do it to the emotional you know the more emotional or the more sensitive or more you know um descriptive term using you know um chubby nerd in the room it's that's all it is but if you if you don't explain to women that i know men do this and it's horrible <laughs> they yeah. never feel recognized um and and you have to teach women tools for how to deal with that and they're the tools we're talking about which is that when the when you know guys are giving you shit or being a passive aggressive or ignoring you and then stating your, you have to say hey guys no I said that first no don't interrupt me I need to actually get that out again because you're ignoring that I said it earlier you just have to be confident you have to con- you have to state yourself right. you have to be collegial and say hey I like that idea and you just ignore that there's any weirdness. Um, happening towards you. And in a lot of circumstances, you can just break through it. If you're dealing with really sexist guys in a really crystallized structure...
0: Right, good luck. I don't
1: know what to say. I think women should be entrepreneurs and they should start their own thing.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: And bring in other women who can break through the passive-aggressive henpecking pecking order and be cooperative and collaborative together.
0: Well, it's it's interesting because so many people... to in my experience have this concept of patriarchy as just you know sort of like people with penises who run things and i really yeah. I, I mean i guess there's an aspect well, let's talk
1: about it. matriarchy too
0: <laughs> yeah <laughs> well i just want to what's interesting to me is that when i think of patriarchy i'm certainly talking about this these larger archetypal concepts right. I, I do think we can call this culture of patriarchy it has to do with the relationship with logic in general in the in the culture and and then this kind of uh a dominator style i have the best argument so i've won the debate so i am at the the top of the pecking order uh, mm-hmm. or whatever symbolism you want to use that i have more money than you so i'm at the top of the pecking order but and and even uh the hierarchical style and i think um, you know the hierarchy well, except for the fact seen, that I,
1: I wouldn't call the culture a patriarchy i would say that there are patriarchal sort of st- structure there are structures in which there is a male dominance hierarchy that are not as functional as they could be but i wouldn't say the whole culture is a patriarchy i mean i think that we're moving into um, the embodiment of in some ways a malignant matriarchy i right. mean if you think about it what does the technocracy do it's a hovering mother it's a Wear a mask. Don't go outside. Um, hide behind your Zoom because the number one role of the mom is to, the mother is to make sure that you don't die, right? So all of this monitoring and surveilling—that's what the mom does. It always has one eye on the kid. So, and I, I even think that this um, um, a lot of the uh, the the de-emphasis of. Um, of uh, male and female, of, of strongly delineated masculine and feminine personalities is because that there's an infantilization in that. You know, you're su- supposedly, I mean, some people are, um, maybe, you know, boys and girls are maybe more similar to each other before puberty. You know, um, and so sure. there's like a, it's, it, I think a lot of the stuff that people say about you know, um, the, um, non-binary, you know, movement and transgenderism is, it's, it's, um, comes from a place of frustration and sort of a non-sovereign lashing out and not from a recognition that in this technocracy, it's really a hovering mom. It's really a hovering mom. Yeah. And, um, it makes me think of Laurie Anderson, you know, Laurie Anderson's songs about, um, um, about the what is the name of the one it's got here comes the planes in it but anyway I was listening to that Jane saying yep she predicted all of this she predicted that you know when justice is gone there's always mom and she'll hold you in her arms her um, her military arms her you know in her arms literally arms as in um, she'll protect you in her armaments right so um, yeah so um, Asian women now make more money than men in the US and people are like yay that's so great and I'm like okay it's great that it's great that people you know can support themselves that they can make money yeah. that people can achieve things and feel good about that um, but I'm not I'm not going to freak out about women having more or women having less the question is are they doing it within structures where they feel free or where they feel constrained and do they have to be part of controlling structures in order to feel in order to achieve or and what are the liberating structures that we could encourage to emerge
0: yeah i mean that's one of the things that's been so fascinating to me about um just watching this whole political movement around patriarchy of evolve and even a lot of the conversation about race that we have these days is where the mm-hmm. the assumption is that the current situation is sort of the preferred the that that women are compared to uh, men within the corporate hierarchy and the solution is to get women to the top of the hierarchy or even By being,
1: have being more male or something well
0: which is what ends up happening right you know and so
1: whatever that means or more masculine or more classically masculine in their behavior
0: instead of i mean people are focusing too much on the gender of the person participating rather than the the overall system and like what can we do to deconstruct this system and recreate something that's more or less alienating more authenticating
1: right well i do find it interesting that um the um countries that have the the greatest uh uh economic um between men and women the women um who, women go after traditional traditionally female used, what used to be called pink collar mm-hmm. you know career roles or choose not to have a career there stay at home moms and teachers and social workers and um i think that uh the pressure on women to do something other than the pink collar ghetto stuff, all of this pressure to, you know, be in the STEM fields. It's great if you're oriented in that way, but if you're not oriented in that way, it's just more pressure to be non unsovereign. you know, and the shaming yeah. of women because they want to have kids and they want to stay home and, you know, they want to, pull out of the workforce for a period of time or start a business that they can do part-time you know all of that needs to go away and i do think that we're sort of like talking to each other um sort of like in an in a generational bubble uh doug because i don't think that the people the kids in their 20s and their 30s um you know and even into the 40s even you know the, the late gen xers i don't think that they feel that those patriarchal pressures are, are such a big deal anymore. I think that they feel like they can make choices and they can deal with it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's one of the reasons why it's so interesting that they've become, I mean, I feel like there's actually has been a lot of progress made on a lot of these levels uh, yeah. in the last 30 or 40 years, which is why it almost shocks me that it, the, the new cycle is able to turn them into such huge issues.
1: I know. And the, the young kids are like, Right. No, race is not a thing for us. We we don't, you know, if we're attracted to, um, if we're white, and, you know, if I'm white and I'm attracted to an Asian guy or woman or whatever, you know, the, the race and gender and sexual preference stuff is actually not an issue for the younger generation in the way that the media makes it out to be. Yeah.
0: They're, it's
1: just, they're just, the thing is, the reason why it's an issue is because the younger generations are pumped with this idea that... You know, there's um, there's a bunch of really scary, bigoted, racist, and um, you know, anti um, anti anti um, you know, gender um, choice people sort of in out in the hinterlands. All of them conservatives are just like racists and bigots. And again, I really I don't find that that's true. Yeah, I do not find that that's true. I've never met a racist. I've never met anyone who um, living out here um, amongst amongst the red types in Arizona and um, Colorado for now, gosh, 30 years. Um, And yeah, people are annoyed about um, feeling that there's this big agenda being pushed to um, get their kids to choose to be something other than you know binary and there's lots of different i don't really i don't have kids i and i don't feel like it's it's valuable for me to wade into getting people to the table about that right now i think we have other really big things um that are that are affecting and oppressing all of us like the um the um central banking cartel
0: right
1: (laughs) (laughs) you know um everyone's going to figure this out eventually and then we can be um you know 10 different uh sexes and uh very various places on the spectrum between um a um you know su- su- a submissive classic um conservative you know f- you know christian wife and a uh, ceo of a company that you started in the fema camp together yeah <laughs> With, you exactly. know conversations there <laughs>
0: Well, I mean, that's and that's exactly why I wanted to kind of wanted to have this conversation really is because there are these huge issues that are right. happening that and, and they've been happening. I mean, we I was speaking before uh, the interview about, I mean, as you mentioned, the central banking thing is the, yeah. is the biggest issue that nobody will
1: talk about. It's it's like uh, it's, So I have found a way to bring people together around that, too. And that's yeah. the barter, uh, the barter exchanges. Right. So there's this wonderful um uh, barter Exchange, community-exchange.org. And there is 1,200 or so um, community barter exchanges using this software all over the world. Nice. And um, just recently in uh, Colorado, in the last few months, we've um, we've formed six of them. Um, and we have people starting to barter and communicate and exchange and starting to figure out, you know, a community... Um, Um, urban food forest together where you get together in your neighborhood and you're going to grow tomatoes and I have pear trees and I'm going to grow lettuce underneath them, you know, to shade them from the sun. And and this sort of sense that we can start to to get an understanding of and get beyond the trauma of money that's privately controlled and, you know, where we it's unstable for us. It's a value fluctuates and it loses value. So we're always being robbed by inflation. Right. A way to get beyond that is to do barter where the prices of things are stable.
0: <laughs> right. <laughs>
1: you know, you're always going to be able to trade if it lettuce is worth X to you and it's always worth X to you and a bike is always worth X to you. Then it's always going to be, you know, there's, there's units of exchange, but those units of exchange are, you know, are always going to be over time, you know, um, uh, end up being the equivalent of 100 heads of lettuce for that bicycle, yeah, or whatever it is. So although lettuce is really expensive now, I don't know, maybe it's two or three heads of lettuce for a bicycle. Yeah. <laughs> Unless you're in Boulder County and you're driving a $500 car with a $15,000 bicycle on it, which yeah. is very common. That's That's Boulder for you. Yeah. It's Colorado, period. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so, and that's something that, you know, the old hippies love it, and it's the reduce, reuse, recycle, and it's the community potlucks, mm-hmm. and people with conservative fiscal values love it, and it just gets past all of the nonsense.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's so fascinating because that's just the thing like I I can't believe how divisive uh, all of these issues have become the the race, the sexual identity, the yeah. left right paradigm. Um and it's um it's really destroying any way to create a cohesive community that can right. move forward given the given the challenges the huge challenges that we're all facing right now i mean the the serious threats it's like come on people we have to figure out how to move beyond this and right. so finding ways that can actually just avoid those conversations <laughs>
1: so here's some uni- unifying points that i use everyone agrees that the banks have too much power everyone agrees that blackrock and um vanguard which yeah. are owned by the central banks, you know, and then in turn the uh, the 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 folks who are you know managing that. It's it's just like sort of cycle of ownership. It's sort of like one entity with the biggest you know um, central banks and and then their member banks. It's just this little it's this little club of people who sort of co own everything. Most people agree that that's not a great thing. Most sure. people agree that um, having Vanguard and um, Um, BlackRock buy up um, I think they bought up in this last cycle in the last couple of years something like 10% of all of the available housing stock and their intention is to turn that into rental stock and and they've pumped the prices up by doing this so insanely with um, that now um, young people are looking and going I don't know how I'm gonna be able to ever buy a house so most people agree that that's terrible Most people agree that, um, uh, you know, um, Big Pharma and um, other corporations have way too much control over what's um, said in the media. So we have some places where we can start. People agree that their corporations have too much control. Um, People agree that the military-industrial complex is out of control. And, I mean, it used to be that you couldn't have that conversation with folks who were conservative. Conservatives really get it. And that used to be the big talking point of um, of the anti war movement. Sort of one of the big talking you know points of the anti war movement, going all the way back to Eisenhower's speech about yeah, this. yeah, uh, beware the military industrial complex. So those are places where you can start. Everybody loves food, you know. Start a food co op. Go out and meet with your local farmers. We're also doing that. Not ready to talk about it too much yet, but we're really excited about it. Cool. Um, a local farmer food co op. Start a barter exchange. It's free. And it's not a lot of work to be the administrator, you know. People are joining um, buy nothing groups as a way of dealing with inflation and, and getting together. But whatever you do, meet in person. You know, get to know each other in person and build that old-fashioned rural farm community network of "I've got your back." You know, and these values are not right or left. These are everyone's values. Yeah. Um, I do think it's fascinating to have you looked at that um, analysis. I think I sent you the link to it. Um, by somebody. I oh, can't remember that person's name now. Um, which uh, talks about the. Uh, it's by an analyst in Boston, who um talks about, um observes that there's now um really not a sort of like blue team or a red team. It's more, um the virtuals versus the physicals. Right. <laughs> did you see that?
0: I don't think I did.
1: Really, really brilliant analysis. Uh-huh. I'll send it to you again. So then the question is. So do you want your life to be more and more, you know, like virtual and low contact with people? So how can you do that in a way without imposing that on other people, you know? Or do you want to get, you know, more – go back to your in-person yoga classes and join a walking group and have a garden and be really more embodied in your physical? I think more and more people are saying, oh, yeah, I – I want my physical plane existence to be better. I don't want to be sucked into and live in a virtual matrix. But just recognize where you are in that spectrum, and what do you hate and loathe and despise about people on the other side, and what are you projecting onto them? You yeah. know, and just try different, try different rubrics than just um, the left-right divide. You know, that's an interesting one to look at it and say, okay. What is the way that I'm repelled by people who spend all time on, all their time online? What does that tell me about me, you know, and am I lonely and I'm afraid that I can't have good relationships? I mean, I'm somebody who spends a lot of time online and I'm always making stuff and I'm, you know, oftentimes I'm making stuff while I'm online, which is sort of like a combination of the two, you know, like knitting <laughs> or fixing something, um, you know, or like listening to something while I'm cooking. And I also have a huge garden and I also dance and, you know, I also um work out in the um you know in water every day so so being willing to stop thinking about the things that have been setting about that annoying other side and say well what are some other um kind of analyses that I can use to understand what's happening yeah you know, not just rich and poor black and white bigots versus you know transgender it's those those categories are not going to serve you as a thoughtful stoic who is trying to continue to grow and develop yourself emotionally and mentally um it it serves much more to try different um systems of understanding the world and just try them on for yourself
0: right one of the things that I've been really thinking about, especially as I've been getting more into writing is how much, um, it's like people really want to find a system that works for everybody when yeah. in reality, yeah, yeah, yeah. like everything happens on a case by case basis, right? You, you know, and everybody's different. And so you can't, you, there's no way to judge you know, right. the the virtue of one w- one path or another, except in the, the individual instance where there was some kind of a conflict. And then maybe you have, right. you know, you intercede or you have a, ju- you know, a justice system. What is justice? What is morality? It all kind of boils down to like a case by case basis. You can't just right. write a, a list of rules and expect it to work for everybody all the time.
1: Well, so for me, this is where Plato meets. Um, Aristotle, because um, in the Socratic method that you're examining, you're trying different points of view, and you're arguing them and seeing how far you can go to a logical conclusion. And Aristotle said, well, actually, there are systems for doing all this. There's ways that we can approach um, Understanding the world, and so um, having a bunch of those different systems and being able to move fluidly between them means that you're not going to get stuck, and you don't have to come to a rigid logical conclusion ever. You can simply be exploring these use these different systems and exploring them with people until there's sort of like a sort of like a communal emotional sort of feeling of harmony that right. you did a process together and that you're and that the other person isn't Satan. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, I mean that's if the other thing. person is Satan, then maybe you, you know, you understand Satan is, you know, the person who goads you to be a better person because he because it's so miserable to be in that place of separatism. <laughs> right. That's <laughs> <As> a system. <laughs> right?
0: <laughs> well, I mean it's it is it's um it's fascinating to think about having um I, I would say like these complex systems or these self organizing yeah. systems. Uh, that's that's another direction I've been thinking about a lot lately. Um, again, instead of the what I, you know, if you want to use that word patriarchy, where they're kind of like right. imposing their system on everybody because it's supposed right. to work perfectly for everyone. Because Which the malignant, technocratic
1: so. matriarchy does too. Yeah,
0: yeah. Everyone
1: I, must have a vaccine pass. Everyone must. You know, have a digital ID. Everyone must. All of the everyone must. Everyone must um, avoid talking about these subjects. You know, it's still, it's it's just as oppressive.
0: You know, it's it's. But it's oppressive
1: in in a way of um of of limiting people's ability to like compete and be aggressive and to get in the head in the marketplace. It's sort of like yeah. pushing everyone down. Whereas in the patriarchy, the limitation was. You know, sort of like Mike makes right, the the biggest dog wins. Right. you are
0: listening to this, you are listening to the first free hour of The Shift with Doug McKenty. For access to the full feature-length versions of the podcast, go to www.theshiftnow.com and subscribe for the audio version for just $6 a month. Access the full-length episodes in video form through Rockfin.com by subscribing at The Shift with Doug McKenty landing page. For $9.99 a month, you gain access not only to The Shift but also all other premium content material hosted on the platform. Find out more at www.theshiftnow.com backslash store. Detoxify your body, decolonize your mind, make the shift. Yeah. You, You know, and even the ones, I mean, that's just it. Like how do we heal the ones that are alienated and yeah. having, having these issues, well, we heal them by giving them the freedom to feel empowered that yes. their lives can make a difference. And, and so, this is the kind of transition yeah. that I think. I think definitely needs to happen, like just getting away from the over systematized agenda 21s, you know, agenda 30s, the public private partnerships, the old school way of getting getting the the federal grants, because these are all ultimately they've always been just methodologies of control, even if they sound good, they actually don't allow your community to grow in an authentic way they're still imposing these, these i have something else
1: up. about colorado which is just a test bit for a lot of these really horrible ideas yeah <laughs> um colorado when i found out that colorado is um sort of like the uh, delaware of of cooperative business structures i was like oh that's really awesome it's so you know progressive and there's all these. turns out that They are rolling out structures like an LLC that allows you to be a cooperative where everyone's an owner, but where you can bring in investor money and they can suck off of the profits of your co-op forever. Right, right. They have just decided, you know, we didn't talk about, um, the, um, social, um, impact bonds and people who are, you know, uh, and the, and that the, that the, uh, WAFers have decided that in the future, um, the truly, truly uh, the billionaires will be people They'll have, um, you know, the most people in their portfolio that they're betting for or against and making money off of right. because we've allowed them into the, our lives by having them be owners and therefore trackers and controllers of our, Business that we own our cooperative, or they, um, you know, they're the ones who are funding the um, social services that are giving us the WIC food stamps and the bonuses if we, you know, only buy certain things that are tracked in the, in our app that reads everything in the store and, and you know, so that they know. Oh, she's in the Snickers aisle. We better beep her phone. All right. The mayors will are supposed to be. You know, and this is all the stuff that I think Allison has done. Just an amazing Allison McDowell has an amazing mm. job of tracking and um you know just raising the alarm about um yeah so um ha, so the 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 movement forward is to recognize that there's insidious fingers worked out very methodically over the 50 years of the WEF's existence into um every aspect of life to try and get um, that control finger and that surveillance finger into everything: education, entrepreneuring, healthcare, social services. Um, uh, you know, um, wearable w- wearable clothing that is, um, you know, is is wired and is and talks to your internet. Um, ID, you know, digital ID, and that um, a lot of the good ideas that these things have suffocated need to just be. Are, are are intending to, you know to be suffocated by this overwhelming network of control we just have to find ways individually in each little way that we can to pull ourselves out of that you know Yeah.
0: yeah. well, sounds good, Mary thanks for coming on and and explaining all of this for us and um
1: you well, know, it I was love, really I fun discuss, yeah it was really fun to talk about it with you and uh I am optimistic and um I really appreciate your um uh having this conversation I'm curious to see what your uh your um uh, what com- what rises to the surface for your listeners and for your audience yeah um, for sure quite an interesting group of people so
0: well, I hope and I hope if more, you know, I guess one of the things just to really conclude is with the idea of sovereign communication again is that if we engage in this kind of sovereign communication, I think that these ideas that we're talking about these individuating concepts, this sort of yes. breaking away from the machine, the controlling machine and learning to grow these good ideas at the in our community level. This is this is the stuff that's going to become the obvious path forward. Like once we it help is, each other is. to yes. use the critical thinking and and recover from the traumas and the triggers and yep. suddenly we're all just going to find actually we agree you know let's let's take this plot of land and let's turn it into something wonderful for our community and let's just yep. ignore you know the pressures from the from the controllers that are trying to force us into uh, a tiny box that doesn't fit
1: thank you doug i'm gonna have to go back and listen to this one i'm feeling discouraged
0: <laughs> <laughs> no it's, it was awesome thank you mary is there are is there any uh do you want me to point anybody in a certain direction to find out more about your uh your well work i wish doing, i was or? to the
1: point where i was um offering any i mean i've been in a process of self discovery for some years and um, I'm I'm not teaching any um classes or anything coming up, but people should definitely check out community-exchange.org okay. and just start your own local barter system. I mean, you can do it as a as a free cycle or as a buy nothing group that isn't on Facebook. You know, it's independent. There's your data's not going to be shared. It doesn't cost anything to start your exchange, community-exchange.org, and um, uh, the people there are, as I said, they're across the the spectrum and all coming together around the basics of the currency of, of our communication with ourselves and with the natural world. And it's a great place to start.
0: Yeah. Sounds perfect. I'll, I'll help promote that with this episode then.
1: All right. Um, thanks so much, Doug.
0: Sure thing. And I'll uh, let you all know that you've been listening to The Shift and I'm your host, Doug McKinty. You can find all my stuff at www.theshiftnow.com. I've been writing uh, more and more, trying to put a weekly Uh, a weekly essay out on the blog the populist papers on substack Uh, you can find all the video stuff on rockfin odyssey and youtube i've been pointing people more to the odyssey channel if you subscribe to uh, rockfin you can get access to all the full-length versions of each episode of the shift um my personal page doug mckinty on facebook is kind of where i I spend most of my time, though, I'd love to branch out to a different social media site. And I am at D. McKinty on Twitter. You can join me there, too, if you want to have uh, more direct conversations with me about the episodes and keep in touch with what's going on. So thanks, everybody, for listening. And thank you, Mary, for coming on and, and doing oh, my this pleasure. For sure. This uh, the sovereign communication ideas is, is just so clutch and we have to learn yeah. how to talk to each other if we're going to get over the hump and start being more productive, more productive and more individuated as yes. people and communities to get, to get away from what they got planned for us. So.
1: Indeed. All
0: right. Thanks again. Take care.
1: All right. You too. Bye-bye.
0: All right. Ladies and gentlemen, that was my conversation with Mary Lynn. Uh, I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. I was um, first approached by her on Facebook when she responded to uh, one of my postings of uh on unity which uh, i wrote for the populist papers on substack to describe the importance of trying to unify our whole scene i in my opinion um you know there are so few of us that are really even able to see through a lot of the propaganda in the mainstream media and so those of us who can i think it's imperative uh that we get together and we work together towards making some kind of substantial change and i think if there's a lot of conflict going on within the independent community uh, there's just no no chance no hope uh, and that's uh that's a pretty bleak way of looking at the future so in my attempts to foster unity Uh, I I published uh, this series uh, about just discovering that the left-right paradigm still exists really within uh, within our scene and trying to overcome it. I've been working, as a lot of you may know, towards trying to find some kind of compromise, some kind of understanding between the left-right paradigm where we can just move past this, start looking at things in terms of a top-down paradigm, which I think is way more accurate, uh, that there are just very wealthy people, Uh, who actually use the left-right paradigm to divide and conquer the rest of us so that they can continue to go on with all sorts of social engineering plans, centralizing the means of production, accumulating vast amounts of power and wealth at the top of the hierarchy, uh, and uh, really uh, disempowering those of us, the rest of us, the 99% at the bottom. Um, And so trying to overcome this, I wrote this uh, series on unity, and, uh, of course, it was about this conflict in the independent media. You can go to Substack and, and read that series if you like, uh, and that'll go into detail about exactly what the conflict was. But the bottom line was that, of course, I, I took one side over another, and I was getting a lot of these disparaging comments from, from uh, the people that were on the other side. Uh, and Mary happened to be one of them. She disagreed. She was on the, quote-unquote, other side, but her response to me was very open-minded, very non-judgmental, and inviting uh, more uh, in-depth dialogue, which is what uh, was really important to me. I mean, that was the point of writing the whole essay, was to just get more good conversation happening, rather than shutting down and avoiding the kind of conversations that need to happen so that we can overcome a lot of this divisiveness. Um, and I just actually wrote her back uh, on Facebook saying thank you so much for your response. <laughs> I mean it was just so refreshing to get someone that was like uh, so open-minded even though there was clearly this disagreement going on. So we had a phone conversation and we were just able to get into such detail and such depth about the importance of, of having good communication techniques and she started to describe to me uh, how this sovereign communication process uh, really can work. Uh, and I was so impressed with it that I invited her on the show so we could have a conversation and we could share these ideas uh, with the rest of you. Um, I think that this kind of conversation, understanding this, um, I, and I'd also like to add that I, I wrote another post uh, on Substack at the Populist Papers called Dialectic and Dialogue to talk about the difference in the kind of the kind of ways that we use logic. Uh, one way being dialectic, which claims to have discovered the truth, the other way being dialogue, which is in conversation with others, we can help to rise above our own preconceived notions. We can help each other to become stronger individuals. Um, I mentioned in that essay uh, the concept of Stoicism, which Mary also has been heavily influenced by the Stoic movement. Uh, This ability to be able to respond in conversation without these ad hominem attacks. I mean, if we have disagreements, this is what I was getting all over social media, ad hominem attacks uh, building straw men that had nothing to do with my argument, but trying to paint me as some kind of horrible person from those that were on the other side. Uh, when you run into this kind of thing, it's a, these people have been emotionally triggered. They're no longer able to follow a conversation and utilize the, the, The logical fallacies. When you see that you've made a logical fallacy, you're no longer engaging in sovereign communication. You've been triggered. Triggered because your paradigm has been threatened. uh, Or perhaps in the case of of the dominant uh, propaganda that people are getting, if, if if you doubt someone's very trusted news source, for example, someone who loves CNN or NPR, and you start saying, well, I don't, you know, I don't think that that NPR piece was very accurate. Let's look at the facts. And then they get triggered and they start you know, saying, well, all intelligent people know that NPR is the best news source or or whatever it is, whatever that response is, you've got to be like, okay, I'm dealing with this emotional response. This person is no longer engaging in a logical conversation. At the same time, it asks you to be very unattached to your point of view. I mean, if somebody is following the the uh, the discipline of a logical discourse. You've got to be able to say, "Wow, I hadn't thought of that." You know, that's I'm able to change with this new information or or this new concept that you've just introduced into the into the conversation. So you've got to be open minded. Uh, you've got to be non judgmental. Uh, and then dialogue becomes a path towards character development. And this is what the Stoic movement was all about. Um, you become a, a stronger person, less uh, less emotionally influenced, less um, uh, they would call it unvirtuous behavior when you get triggered and then you get angry or you respond violently or incoherently to a concept that uh, that is outside of your paradigm that you haven't that you haven't been able to incorporate into your worldview, uh, and you get scared. You know, people get scared. They have this paradigm that that is their their reality and when you knock on that reality uh it frightens them that's when you get these triggered reactions and trying to overcome that is is just a huge part of i think what we're all dealing with i mean right now we've got this ukraine situation and i'm finding that 99% 99% of the people I'm seeing on social media have no concept of the last 10 years of Ukrainian history, and they're just lashing out uh, against Russia, against Putin, against the evil, you know? <laughs> uh, no justification for any kind of in- invasion of the Ukraine. Um, and it's just like, okay, let's look at the facts. Let's, let's look at our primary source material. Uh, Mary and I talk about, uh, in, the, in our interview, the trivium. And uh, I would encourage all of you to look up the trivium, the quadrivium. These are are ancient techniques, actually, Roman, uh, going back to to classical uh, Greek and Roman concepts, where you'll see the logical fallacies listed. And they have these concepts of how to engage in logical discourse. And you have to have a lot of discipline, but when you break out of that trivium method, it's called, then you see. Somebody's been emotionally triggered in this conversation. We have to heal the emotional wound before we can move forward uh, with the logical discourse. And so, you know, what I love about the process is not only can it help to wake people up, but it also, um, it not only makes people uh, intellectually stronger, more aware human beings, but it's designed also to heal those emotional wounds that all of us have. We've all been traumatized uh, having been raised within either within the patriarchal culture where authoritarianism, especially authoritarian pedagogies are used on us from a very young age, or we've been raised in an indigenous culture, which Clearly uh, have been persecuted by the by the colonizing culture for hundreds of years now so um, There's a lot of emotional healing that needs to be done Uh, and hopefully this concept of sovereign communication can uh, Give us a tool that we can use to engage not only in explaining to people What's going on in the world around us? but uh, also provide the tools necessary to help heal those emotional wounds that we've all endured uh, as a result of of the generational trauma of colonization that has been going on now for, um, you know, thousands of years in some cases, depending on your family history. Um, So I was really excited to have this conversation with Mary, and uh, I hope you got as much out of it as I did. I think it's a, a useful tool going forward for all of you uh, who are frustrated trying to have conversations with those who are simply listening to the mainstream media or listening to their politicians? Uh, and you know, I mean, at this point, like I said with the Ukraine thing, after coming off of the coronavirus thing, it's like it can be very, very frustrating. So this methodology provides a, a system of overcoming it, having compassion for those who are trapped inside of of uh, the mainstream system. Uh, and helping to heal uh, everyone involved through this kind of conscious dialogue process. Um, So I'll just let you know one more time that uh, Mary, she doesn't have a website up. I hope that she does, and I'll try to keep you guys updated if she does uh, actually start to teach this sovereign communication thing. Uh, But for now, she asks that people go... Uh, and sign up for this uh, community exchange project that she's been involved in, which is trading talent hours uh, instead of dollars to help uh, provide a parallel system to get us outside of this th- this constant rat race uh, of the dollar system and the fractional reserve system. So uh, go check that out at www.community-exchange.org. Uh, and you can sign up there. You can find uh, either find others in your area that are involved or you could sign up to set up your own node in the network where you live. So uh, I'll urge everyone to check that out again at www.community-exchange.org. Uh, and I'll just let everyone know that uh, you can find all of my stuff at www.theshiftnow.com. Uh, and I'm also, uh, as many of you know now, writing uh, a blog on Substack called The Populist Papers. So you can check out my work there. You can also just find the link to the blog uh, on the homepage at the, at the website. Um, my next interview is going to be about... Uh, targeted individual and uh, that should be an interesting one as well that's kind of a difficult topic to uh, to really um, latch on to because the people who are targeted often appear to be kind of you know they appear to be paranoid or schizophrenic and uh, they're constantly fighting this uphill battle trying to prove that they've actually been targeted by some organization that's messing with their minds so uh, that, that will be an interesting conversation, and I'll have that one up soon. You can also see uh, that I have moved. I'm now living in Iowa. That's why I've been uh, a few weeks late getting this one out. So thank you all for your patience, and I promise that as the month of March moves forward, I'll be getting more and more content out in a more timely manner. Okay, thanks everybody for listening, and uh, we'll see you again next week. Take care.